the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. Today in the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Deborah Tilton, uh, Tilden rather. She's the founder and director of Smart Science Matters and Abortion Related Trauma, the w- Women's Health Care. We'll talk with her about this uh, organization that provides information you're not likely to find in many other places. We're also going to talk with James Taylor, who is the director of Bow the Knee back in Vancouver this year after a one year hiatus. It's a new experience. We'll tell you more about it. And of course, as has been the case every year, it's a free event. Uh, I'm not sure how they do that, but it's a free event sponsored by some 20 plus area churches uh, that's back uh, in March, the 15th through the 18th. If I have my numbers not right, we'll tell you more about that when he joins us. Otherwise, you can go to their website, bowtheknee.com, and learn more about the performances, the dates, the times, and uh, acquire your tickets, which are necessary. Uh, More so this time around, it's at a new location and seating is more limited. There are more performances, which makes it possible for everyone who wants to attend to do so. But you do need to get a ticket. Well, taking a quick look at some of the headlines, the president and a bipartisan group of lawmakers met today to discuss potential new gun measures following the Parkland, Florida massacre. The uh, the next in a long line of meetings that have taken place up to this point. Attorney General Jeff Sessions says the Justice Department's inspector general is going to investigate FISA abuse allegations following dueling congressional memos, special counsel in the making. The Supreme Court ruled that detained immigrants are not entitled to automatic bond hearings. And special counsel Robert Mueller, he moved to uh, drop charges against former Trump campaign associate Rick Gates in the wake of his guilty plea in the Russian probe. Also, ICE officials arrested more more than 150 people in Northern California raids there, despite the mayor in Oakland warning the residents ahead of time. And satellite photos obtained exclusively by Fox News show Iran has built a new base in Syria. That's a concern, as a growing concern. Uh, for Israel and others. Also, the Reverend Billy Graham allied in um, in honor in state at the Capitol Rotunda yesterday and uh, most of today. The motorcade is now making its way if it hasn't already arrived in um, uh, North Carolina, where the uh, services are going to be held for him tomorrow. And by the way, if you'd like to see them, you can go to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. They're going to be streaming that live. The preliminaries begin at 7 a.m. our time with the service uh, beginning at 9 o'clock Pacific time. Well, as I mentioned, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, on Tuesday said the Inspector General of the Department of Justice is going to probe allegations of government surveillance abuse in light of the memos released on Capitol Hill about the FBI and the Department of Justice efforts to obtain FISA warrants 
to surveil a Trump campaign advisor. And uh, some GOP lawmakers are calling for special counsel, which is um, in the making. Uh, We believe the Department of Justice must adhere to the high standards of the FISA court, Sessions said during a news conference. Yes, it will be investigated, and I think that it's just uh, the appropriate thing for Inspector General will take that uh, as one of the matters he'll deal with. Now, keep in mind, all the Inspector General can do is uh, write a report. He can't, he doesn't have any legal powers to prosecute special a council will do that. Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee released a memo in February detailing the Department of Justice and the FBI surveillance of the Trump campaign advisor Carter Page, saying an infamous unverified dossier funded by Democrats formed an essential part of the application to spy on him. Democrats released a rebuttal memo uh, last weekend. Meanwhile, the high court, uh, high court rather, has um, ruled uh, in a sharply divided decision, concluded that certain immigrants or asylum seekers do not have an automatic right to periodic custody or bail hearings. At issue was whether aliens requesting admission to the United States who are subject to mandatory federal detention must be afforded court status hearings with the possibility of release into the country if the detention lasts more than six months. Well, that could include lawful permanent residents charged with a crime, those detained at the border seeking entry who might lack value and documentation, or those claiming fear of prosecution if they return to their home country. The key plaintiff was Alejandro Rodriguez, held for more than three years without any bond hearing. In a five to three majority uh, decision, uh, Justice Elena Kagan recused herself. Justice Samuel Alito said the government's authority was clear. Detention during those proceedings gives immigration officials time to determine an alien status without running the risk of the aliens either absconding Uh, or failing to show up um, and engaging, rather, in criminal activity before a final decision can be made. The decision comes as the Trump administration is looking to shore up rules governing those seeking permanent entry into the country. Federal judge accused of... um, uh, of bias in uh, earlier ruling against the uh, the president ruled in his favor with regard to other issues earlier in the week. Meanwhile, special counsel Robert Mueller moved uh, yesterday to dismiss nearly two dozen charges against former Trump campaign associate Rick Gates. That was actually Tuesday in the wake of his guilty plea last week. His team filed a motion to drop 22 tax and bank fraud charges against Gates. The filing was uh, tied to Gates' agreement last week to plead guilty to conspiracy to defraud the United States and lying to the FBI. The filing indicates that Gates' cooperation with Mueller's uh, team could be yielding good information as it pursues charges against the former Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Well, Gates has um, intimate knowledge of Manafort's years of political consulting work in Ukraine, as well as other events that have sparked the interest of federal investigators. The development also comes amid a report that Mueller's team is asking witnesses about Trump business dealings with Russia before he decided to launch his presidential campaign in 2015, which is part of the problem with these uh, special counsels. They can fish around in areas unrelated to uh, the, the primary point and the reason for the special counsel having been appointed. Federal immigration officials have arrested more than 150 individuals in violation of federal U.S. immigration law in North, uh, Northern California this week, despite the mayor there, the Oakland mayor, warning of an impending raid. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement made the arrests in the San Francisco Bay Area starting on Sunday as part of targeted immigration enforcement operations, the agency says. Um, uh, roughly half of the 
those arrested by deportation officers have uh, convictions for assault and battery, crimes against children, weapons charges, and DUI, according to the agency. ICE highlighted the arrests of one fugitive of the federal agency in particular, who officials stated is a documented gang member. We've gone uh, totally off the rails, say some uh, observers. And there are some questions being raised as to whether or not the mayor uh, crossed a legal line as that's being uh, investigated as well. And we learned that Iran built another permanent military base outside Syria's capital city, completely with uh, uh, hangars uh, to use to store missiles capable of hitting all of Israel, according to Western intelligence sources. Exclusive satellite images from the uh, Image Satellite International obtained by uh, Fox News show what is believed to be the new Iranian-built base eight miles northwest of Damascus, operated uh, by the Quds Force, the special operations arm of Tehran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. The photos show two new um, white hangars, each roughly 30 yards to 20 yards, or by 20 yards, used to store short and medium-range missiles. And um, there are few distinctions in Congress, as high as the one afforded the late Reverend uh, Franklin or, or Billy Graham at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday and Thursday. America's pastor will lie in honor in the Capitol Rotunda. That has now come to a close. But Graham joins other honorees, including U.S. Capitol police officers Jacob Chestnut and John Gibson, who were killed in a 1998 shootout at the Capitol, and civil rights icon Rosa Parks. Uh, there is little which distinguishes someone from lying in honor rather than in state. Uh, the Pope uh, or the possibility and the circumstances in such a case. But it formally is one level below lying in state. The Capitol Rotunda is considered to be the most holy place in the American political experience. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Later in the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Deborah Tilden. She's the author, she's the founder rather of Smart Women's Healthcare, and that stands for Science Matters in Abortion Related Trauma. We're also going to talk with James Taylor. Bow the knee is back in Vancouver this year after being absent last year. We'll give you all the important details, or you can go to their website, bowtheknee.com, to acquire your ticket. They're free, but you have to have one. I mentioned uh, the day before yesterday that House Bill forty one thirty five passed the Oregon Senate. Um, And I wanted to read for you Lois Anderson, the executive director of Oregon Right to Life, uh, suggested that there be follow up correspondence. And I'll explain in a moment. She writes, I'm very disappointed to report House Bill 4135 passed the Oregon Senate yesterday afternoon. That was actually Tuesday. If you were one of the thousands of Oregonians who emailed and or called your legislator. Uh, urging them to vote no on this uh, dangerous bill. Thank you. The bill placed uh, vulnerable Oregonians in danger. It was rammed through with limited opportunities for public testimony. The bill is further evidence of the failure, even total disinterest of the majority of our elected officials in protecting our interests at the Oregon Capitol. Despite the majority's betrayal, dozens of legislators did stand up for you. They uh, fought tooth and nail to keep this bill from passing. We've created a simple way, and she's referring to the website at Oregon Right to Life, for you to send your thanks if your legislators were among those who did the right thing. If your district's lawmakers failed, the tool will uh, help you send them your thoughts about that as well. It's important for you to rep- for your representatives and senators to know that you are uh, paying attention. Winston Churchill said, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is uh, the courage to continue that counts. 
I assure you, you will, uh, we will continue. Please join us because now more than ever, everyone deserves an advocate signed by Lois Anderson. So she's encouraging uh, all of us who communicated with lawmakers in Salem uh, to backtrack. And if uh, the lawmaker you communicated with uh, attempted to uh, prevent this from becoming law in Oregon, that you write them a thank you email, note, letter, whatever, however you communicated with them. And if not, that you express uh, your thoughts on the passage of what um, Oregon Right to Life and what I would agree is a dangerous piece of legislation for some Oregon residents. Well, President Trump sparred with Republican lawmakers during a rare televised bipartisan gathering on gun control and school safety on Wednesday, dismissing GOP pleas to include concealed carry proposals in a sweeping gun package while making clear he doesn't have to agree on everything with the National Rifle Association. I'm a fan of the NRA, he said, uh, speaking to lawmakers at the White House. There's no uh, bigger fan. I'm a big fan of the NRA. These are great people. These great patriots. They love our country. But that doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. Well, during the meeting, which also included prominent Democrats, the president told House Majority Whip Steve Scalise, who was gravely injured in a mass shooting this summer, that a comprehensive gun bill would not pass if it included a concealed carry reciprocity proposal desired by Republicans. You know, I'm your biggest fan in the whole world, Trump went on speaking to Scalise. I think that bill maybe one day uh, will pass, but it should pass as a separate. Uh, If you were going to put concealed carry between between states into this bill. Uh, we're talking about a whole new ball game. end quote. Well, his comments came as um, it was learned that the White House plans to roll out specific policy proposals aimed at keeping guns out of the hands of people who should not have them. Among the proposals are some that may put him at odds with the NRA, the, the uh, gun organization that has frequent uh, Uh, has been a frequent topic at the meeting. At one point during the session on Wednesday, the president told Pennsylvania Republican Senator Pat Toomey, who has uh, previously sponsored background check legislation, you are afraid of the NRA. A spokesman for Toomey, Steve Kelly, responded in a statement saying uh, Senator Toomey has not received a dime from the NRA since joining the Senate. Uh, Senator Toomey has determined that uh, he is not afraid of the NRA or any other special interest groups. I heard the president actually make this statement, and he wasn't referring to one single individual, but many politicians in the room. Nonetheless, at the beginning of the meeting, the president said he wanted the lawmakers around the table with him to come up with some ideas and put them into a very bipartisan bill. It would be so beautiful to have one bill that everybody could support as uh, opposed to, you know, 15 bills, he said. Well, Trump has, uh, has been pushing some new gun restrictions in the wake of the Uh, school shooting last month in Parkland, Florida, in which 17 people were killed. He emphasized his commitment to strengthening background checks for gun buyers and dealers uh, dealing with mental uh, illness. What surprises me more than uh, anything else is is that nothing has been... is that rather nothing's been done for all these years, Trump told the lawmakers, because I really see a lot of common ground where there's Democrat and Republican support. According to uh, sources, the White House proposal includes raising the minimum uh, age for buying long guns uh, to 21 from 18, a proposal that the president acknowledged is opposed by the NRA. He will also um, call for training and arming certain members of school faculty and staff on a volunteer basis, either through federal grants or uh, states, uh, two states rather, or a federal training program. There are already a number of uh, districts and states where this is already the practice. And during Wednesday's meeting, the president said that he uh, we must uh, uh, harden our, our schools 
uh, against attacks calling for arming some staff at the schools. Speaking of the Pulse nightclub shooting in September of 2016 that killed 49, the president said, if you had one person in that room that could carry a gun and knew how to use it, it wouldn't have happened. Well, maybe would have happened differently, or certainly not to the extent that it did, where he was uh, just shooting and shooting and shooting. Uh, They were defenseless, and the meeting went on. But uh, again, the president making suggestions um, that differ from what his campaign promises uh, reflected, and certainly in in, uh, contrast to the NRA's uh, uh, initiatives. Meanwhile, Georgia lawmakers voted to nix a tax benefit for Atlanta-based Delta as part of a broader tax package approved on Thursday following the airline's decision to sever ties with the National Rifle Association. The bill, which includes a sweeping income tax, cleared the state house in an overwhelming 135-24 vote after being approved in the state Senate 44-10. to It now heads to the governor's desk. The final version dropped an earlier amendment that would have renewed a jet fuel tax exemption worth about 50 million dollars that was taken off the books in 2015 rather business has um, uh, businesses rather have every legal right to make their own decisions but the Republican majority in our state legislature also has every right to govern guided by our principles Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle who uh, very publicly threatened to pull the airline tax break earlier this week said in a statement Republican Governor Nathan Deal Uh, serving his last year in office, said he plans to sign the tax package, though he initially pushed for the airline tax break. The rejection of the tax break for now, though, marked a swift rebuke from state lawmakers who had been weighing the uh, restoration of the benefit until this week. It was originally pitched as an airline tax break rather than one that would uh, only benefit Delta. But in the wake of the Atlanta-based airline's decision to end its relationship with the NRA, the uh, Lieutenant Governor, who was running to succeed Governor Deal in November, uh, warned that he would block any legislation that could prove to be beneficial to them. It is now a done deal and is at the, uh, the governor's desk. 29 minutes after 4 o'clock is our time. We're going to continue to wind our way down through some of the news. But in the 5 o'clock hour, Deborah Tilton will join us. We're going to talk about her um, her uh, project, Smart Women's Healthcare. You can find out more at their uh, website, smartwomenshealthcare.science. Uh, but the uh, acronym stands for Science Matters in Abortion-Related Trauma. We'll also talk with James Taylor. He's the director of Bow the Knee. It's a new experience this year at a new location. We'll give you all the important details, or you can check them out now at bowtheknee.com. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 35 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Hey, a Christian education for your child is possible. KPDQ listeners can save up to 40% on Christian school tuition. Schools include Cornerstone Christian Academy, Valor Christian School, North Clackamas Christian School, Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School, Holy Cross Catholic School, Guardy Christian School, and Grace Lutheran We'll be adding new schools and new tuitions all through February and March. So stay tuned. To get your discount, visit listenersavings.com. So there you have it.
Well, the students of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School described an emotional return to class yesterday, two weeks after a gunman burst onto campus, killed 17 people on Valentine's Day, the majority of them their classmates. The students, some of whom already went to school on Sunday for a voluntary orientation, attended classes on a schedule revised for a half day. Classes ran for 24 minutes, with only the first period running for 30 minutes. Students were dismissed at about 11.40 a.m., with some saying they felt better after seeing their classmates and their teachers said one I feel a lot better at first a lot of nervousness I was calling on my family and telling them I didn't want to go back but coming back it feels amazing it's a lot better said one freshman Uh, junior Adam Buckwald um, also said it was okay it was very emotional it was very happy to see my friends and teachers and that's all that matters right now to be with everyone well joining the students were about 50 uniformed officers who marched into the school's campus part of the heavy security after the Massacre. Backpacks were also not allowed. A Welcome Eagles banner was, uh, and a walkway lined with flowers, photographs, and other memorials were also seen on campus. Before the emotional day began, Broward School Superintendent Robert uh, Runcie tweeted some words of encouragement, saying, I pray that today is the beginning of our long and difficult journey from grief, sorrow, and anger to a new consciousness of hope, compassion, and love. Thank you to our young people for leading the way. Welcome back. Well, the uh, principal said counseling and therapy dogs were available at campuses uh, for the students on Wednesday to provide a lot of love, a lot of understanding. Teachers who arrived back on Monday also had uh, one-on-one grief counseling and therapy dogs available to help them cope with the painful memory of the shooting that left them with a couple of their colleagues gone as well. At the start of the day, students heading back to the classes showed mixed emotions stepping back on campus. Fourteen of their uh, fellow classmates and three members of the faculty and staff were gunned down there. School officials had initially planned for a Tuesday return but pushed it back a day. It's just a bit weird, I guess, uh, to go back to the school after an incident like this. And always, It's always going to be weird because it's not natural that this happened, said one 14-year-old. Still, some people felt the return two weeks after Valentine's Day was still too soon in the wake of the tragedy. Uh, parents expressed fear about their children's safety. One saying, I'm a nervous uh, parent. Nothing has changed. There is no security for these kids. The gun laws haven't been addressed. My heart is racing as I drop him off today. He's nervous. Uh, but the kids seem to adjust uh, fairly fairly well, given the situation. Building 12 at the high school where the shooting actually took place on the 14th uh, will most likely remain closed as the rest of the campus reopens. The principal previously told the uh, local newspaper there had been numerous requests to have the building torn down. We've received numerous requests from parents, students, community members, local elected officials that they would like the building demolished and some memorial resurrected in its uh, place. Not clear whether or not that will happen at this point. But for now, it will remain intact, but uh, unavailable for the students. Naomi Schaefer uh, points out that what the Florida shooting might tell us about our child welfare is worth considering. Nicholas Cruz may well have been a child of addiction, pointing out a bit of his history. And um, while I won't go into all of the details, she does point out in the two weeks since the event, in which 17 people, former high school faculty and students. We've heard a lot about the failure of law enforcement, the need for gun control. We've even begun to uh, get a sense of the shooter's own troubled history, not only that he had been prone to violence for years, but also that he had been diagnosed with a behavioral disorder and attended a school for children with special needs several years ago. But when something this horrific occurs, she writes, it may be worth going back even further in time. 
he and his brother uh, were adopted. That's not the point. One source uh, close to the family said that their biological mother had a, 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 was a drug addict. It's not clear how long the pair were with their biological mother and father at the time of the adoption or whether they were born with any kind of drugs in their system. But if they were, their stories would not be uncommon, according to a 2009 um, scientific uh, study, the data uh, pointed out that for more than 400,000 infants each year, about 10% of all births, substance exposure begins prema- uh, prenatally, and the number has only grown up uh, as a result of the opioid epidemic, with uh, some areas of the country reporting that one in five or one in eight babies are born with these drugs in their systems. There's been uh, many stories about the difficulties of weaning these babies off the drugs, but the problems for children in the long term seem to stem less from neonatal abstinence syndrome, as it's called, than from the fact that these babies are sent home with neglectful and sometimes abusive parents. Now, it's not at all clear that that was the case here, but she's speculating about some broader underlying things to consider. She goes on writing that the fact that they are more difficult to parent because of their early health problems may make parents more frustrated, more likely to deal with them uh, poorly. For about a third of children placed in foster care in 2012, parental alcohol or drug use was was the documented reason for removal. According to the National Survey of Child and Adolescent Well-Being, 61% of infants, 41% of older children in out-of-home care come from families with active alcohol and drug abuse. Tragically, the opioid crisis has rendered more and more parents incapable of caring for their kids. And according to a recent report, the number of kids in foster in Wisconsin alone has increased 20% in five years, and opioids seem to be driving that number. Now, we know that this was an intact family at the time that these boys were Adopted. The father died when they were quite young. The mother attempted as a single parent to raise these boys, had uh, called um, f- about 47 times for law enforcement to come to her home. So this was a, a very challenging situation for her. And uh, she may not have received the help that that she needs. But again, a lot of people trying to consider underlying issues uh, to explain, at least in part, the uh, uh, the violence that we're seeing. Another Walter Williams uh, suggests that closing mental institutions made us more vulnerable to mass shootings. And he writes a liberal created failure that goes entirely ignored is the harmful agenda for society's most vulnerable people, the mentally ill. He suggests that Eastern State Hospital built in 1770 in Williamsburg, Virginia, was the first public hospital in America for the care and treatment of the mentally ill. Many more followed. Much of the motivation to build more mental institutions was to provide a remedy for the maltreatment of mentally ill people in our prisons. According to Professor William Groffine of Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, by 1955, there were nearly 560,000 patients housed in state mental institutions across the nation. By 1977, the population of mental institutions had dropped to about 160,000 patients. Starting in the 1970s, advocates for closing mental hospitals argue that because of the availability of new psychotropic drugs, people with mental illness could live among the rest of the population in an unrestrained natural setting. Now, that's probably true for some in my little editorial comment. But he goes on to write, according to a 2013 Wall Street Journal article by Dr. E. Fuller Torrey, founder of the Treatment Advocacy Center, titled 50 Years of Failing America's Mentally Ill, shutting down mental hospitals didn't turn out the way advocates promised, and yet no alternative has arisen. Several studies summarized by the Treatment Advocacy Center show that untreated mentally ill are responsible for 10% of homicides and a higher percentage of the mass killings. They are 20% of uh, jail 
and prison inmates and more than 30 percent homeless. We often encounter these severely mentally ill indiv- individuals camped on our uh, out in libraries, parks, hospital emergency rooms, train stations, sleeping in cardboard boxes. They annoy passersby with their sometimes intimidating panhandling. The disgusting quality of life of many of the mentally ill makes a mockery of the lofty predictions made by advocates of shutting down mental institutions and transferring their function to community mental health centers, or CMHCSs. Uh, Tory writes, the evidence is overwhelming that this federal experiment has failed, as seen most recently in the mass shootings by mentally ill individuals in Newtown, Connecticut, Aurora, Colorado, Tucson, Arizona. It's time for the federal government to get out of this business and return the responsibility and funds to the states. Getting the federal government out of the mental health business may be easier said than done. The article goes on from there, pointing out that a 1999 Supreme Court ruling in the case of Olmstead versus L.C. held that under the Americas with Disability Act, individuals with mental disabilities have the right to live in an integrated community setting rather than in institutions. And the Department of Justice defined an integrated setting as one that enables individuals with disabilities to interact with non-disabled persons to the fullest extent possible. And Though some mentally ill people may have benefited from this ruling, many others were harmed, not to mention the public, which must put up with the behavior of those who need help. Tory says it has now become politically correct to claim that this federal program failed because not enough um, centers were funded and not enough money was spent. But that's not true. Tory goes on to write. Again, lots of uh, conversations going on about some of the things that contribute to our violence. 46 minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 51 minutes after four o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Deborah Tilden. We'll talk about her work with Smart Women's Health Care, Science Matters, and Abortion-Related Trauma. We'll also talk with James Taylor. Bow the Knee is back this year. We'll give you all the important details and the fact that this is a new experience in a new location. He'll join us later in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Well, President Trump put uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions back in his political crosshairs on Wednesday, blasting him for tapping an Obama guy to investigate allegations of government surveillance abuse. The president was reacting to Sessions revealing a day earlier that the Justice Department's Inspector General will investigate the allegations in light of memos released on Capitol Hill about FBI and Department of Justice efforts to obtain FISA warrants to spy on a former Trump campaign advisor. Why is AG Jeff Sessions asking the inspector general to investigate potentially massive FISA abuse? Will take forever, has no prosecutorial power and already late with report on Comey, etc. Isn't the IG an Obama guy? Why not use Justice Department lawyers? Disgraceful, Trump wrote. Well, of course, Justice Department and the FBI can investigate itself. But Sessions confirmed on Tuesday in response to questions uh, that the abuse accusations would be investigated by the uh, inspector general. The inspector will uh, take uh, take that as one of the matters he deals with, he said, in reference to uh, the Department of Justice uh, IG Michael Horowitz. Uh, We have um, initiated the appropriate process that will ensure complaints against the department will be fully and fairly acted upon if necessary. As long as I am the attorney general, I will continue to discharge my duties with integrity and honor, and this department will continue to do its work in a fair and impartial manner, according to the law and Constitution. Of course, the president has never forgiven Jeff Sessions for recusing himself uh, from this whole 
um, Russian investigation to begin with. And this is just another um, um, hack off for the president. Well, White House communicators, uh, communication director, rather, Hope Hicks, one of the president's longest and most loyal advisors dating back to the beginning of his presidential campaign, said that she is resigning yesterday from the administration to explore new opportunities. There are no words to adequately express my gratitude to President Trump, she said in a statement. I wish the president and his administration the very best as he continues to lead our country. Well, a former model, Hicks, 29, is President uh, Trump's longest serving aide, having worked with him before he announced his candidacy through the campaign and into the second year of his administration. Trump said in a statement provided by the White House, she is outstanding and has done great work for the last three years. She is as smart and uh, thoughtful as they come, a truly great person. I will miss having her by my side. When she uh, approached me about pursuing other opportunities, I totally understood. I am sure we will work together again in the future. Well, she... um, The announcement, rather, came a day after she acknowledged to a House intelligence panel that she occasionally told white lies for the uh, Trump uh, administration, but hasn't lied about anything relevant to the Russian investigation. Upon further inquiry, she was referring to uh, lying about, for example, whether or not the president was available for interview or uh, available for a meeting. Um, she clarified, and some members of the uh, of the meeting were rather frustrated by the leak and the setup of the question. But nonetheless, she's resigned. We've been told that this was in the works for some time, but the timing does raise some questions. She joins the White House after the. Uh, 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 After the campaign, rather, was uh, promoted to communications director over the summer, the White House credited her with leading strategic messaging for the tax reform effort and working with White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders to uh, stabilize the uh, press and communications uh, teams. When I became chief of staff, I quickly realized that so many have learned about hope. She is a strategic, poised and wise beyond her years. Uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly said in a statement, Kelly added she became a trusted advisor and counselor and did a tremendous job overseeing the communication for the president's agenda, including the passage of historic tax reform. She has served her country with great distinction. To say that she will be missed is an understatement, which is uh, uh, quite uh, high praise from uh, Mr. Kelly. She famously avoided publicly th- uh, publicity rather throughout her tenure. As a press aide, she uh, never went on camera but preferred working behind the scenes. It wasn't until recently, during the scandal over White House Staff Secretary Rob Porter's past domestic abuse allegations, that Hicks found herself in the spotlight. She had been dating him. At the time of the scandal, Hicks had been uh, dating a Porter, uh, who has uh, also resigned. It uh, was this re- um, uh, reveal that uh, Hicks was involved in Uh, drafting the initial response to the revelation of Porter's past. Sanders told reporters uh, Wednesday afternoon that Hicks already uh, had been considering leaving the administration before the fiasco. She's been thinking about it uh, before that, but uh, made the announcement public just yesterday. Meanwhile, stocks plunged uh, today after the president announced plans to slap tariffs on steel and aluminum uh, imports. The Dow closed Uh, More than 420 points down after the announcement, the president said the tariffs will uh, level the playing field for American companies and help them expand their plant closings in recent years. The president made the dramatic announcement after participating in a listening session with 15 representatives from the steel and aluminum industries. Following the uh, comments that Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped as much as 500 points, you will have uh, protection for the first time in a long time. Uh, in a long while, rather, and you are going to regrow your industries, he told the executives. That's uh, all I'm asking. Uh, You have to regrow your industries. 
Well, the president said that he decided on tariffs of 25 percent for steel, 10 percent for aluminum. Uh, I remember when I was uh, growing up, U.S. Steel, that was the ultimate company. And today you have so many closed plants, the president said. He also said his decision to impose tariffs is because we need great steel makers, great aluminum makers for defense. Trump said that he hoped it will lead to more vibrant companies. Uh, the, uh, told executives that the rest is going to be up to uh, management to make them truly great. I remember when I was growing up, uh, again, these were the ultimate companies. So those tariffs, uh, the announcements made today and the um, uh, stock market plunging in response. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Also, President Trump's crackdown on illegal immigration got some help uh, on Tuesday when the Supreme Court ruled that it's uh, legal uh, to detain non-citizens indefinitely pending deportation. After a 4-4 deadlock on the issue last year, the justices ruled 5-3 to three against a group of immigrants protesting detentions averaging 13 months. They ruled on the law rather than the Constitution, which could give the uh, challengers another chance to win the case in the lower courts. And the Southern Poverty Law Center is back in at least the the, uh, news on uh, the right side of the ledger, claiming it uh, is fighting hate and bigotry. But the Southern Poverty Law Center's hate group list is a farce, says Liberty Council, while listing nonviolent groups like the Family Research Council, Alliance Defending Freedom, American Family Association and Liberty Council. The Southern Poverty Law Center does not include groups that advocate the violent overthrow of the United States, like the Revolutionary Communist Party USA. The RCP, as it's called, openly admits it's uh, organizing to overthrow this system at the soonest possible time in America and is preparing to lead an actual revolution. This system of capitalism, imperialism cannot be reformed. Only an actual revolution can bring about the fundamental change that is needed. Uh, They have specifically uh, outlined a strategy for how we could defeat them referring to the United States, which is neither peaceful nor metaphorical. Its manual includes uh, training a revolutionary fighting force to start an all-out fight, utilizing equipment uh, captured from the enemy, fight in ways the enemy does not anticipate, of course, the enemy being the United States, disrupting in the concentration and utilization of U.S. forces and contributing to their disintegration, avoiding decisive encounters until the force of the old order have been brought to the brink of total defeat, and then fully, finally rout and dismantle the remaining enemy force. That's a quote from there, uh, how we could defeat them. Um, And yet the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center does not list them as a hate group, uh, the Liberty Council points out, but does include Liberty Council. Uh, Again, pointing out that the uh, reputation is being lost in in all of this. Five o'clock is the time. We're going to take a break for news and traffic. When we come back, we're going to talk with Deborah Tilden. She's with SMART, Science Matters and Abortion-Related Trauma, Women's Health Care. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Zero Res. Well, my guest this um, next couple of segments is Deborah Tilden. She's the co-founder of the organization Smart Women's Healthcare, and that stands for Science Matters in Abortion-Related Trauma. She's a speaker, a blogger, and a writer. She speaks the truth and love about the injustices done to women, men, the unborn, and society brought on by misinformation and lies about abortion. Out of her own healing journey from abortion trauma, she's been involved in numerous outreach programs that bring hurting women into a path of healing and wholeness. And I'm delighted to have you with us here today to talk about Smart Women's Healthcare. Welcome. 
Well, thank you for inviting me. It's wonderful to be here. Now, it's always interesting to learn about the journey that brings individuals into a ministry position or as head of an organization. Would you mind sharing a little bit of your story? Yeah, um, right here in Portland, Oregon. I was raised in the church and had wonderful parents and just those teenage years sometimes go a little bit crazy and... um, just a young man was uh, caught my attention, and we were actually um, engaged to be married. And during that period of time, we found out I was pregnant and came to just needing to cover up our secret. And during that season of time, there wasn't a lot of people that we had to go to. Um, didn't feel like we could go to either one of our parents because of the choices we had been making and really lying about the choices we were making. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we attempt to deceive. So during that season, it was the fall of two, uh, 1980, um, walked into the Lovejoy Clinic in Portland, Oregon. And a friend took me there, and we that really felt like the only option. There wasn't pregnancy care centers at that time. Um, even adoption wasn't uh, talked about at that mm-hmm. time. And so that just seemed like the only option. They told me it would just be, you know, very simple. Um, Life could get back to normal and that life was never normal. And they tell you it's not a baby yet. It's just a blob of tissue. And learning the things I know now and just studying science and walking this journey that I was not the same individual who walked through the doors of the abortion clinic as the one who walked out. There were many, many things that came out of that, just um, addictions to drugs and alcohol, kept a lot of it a secret. We did get married, um, but little did we know the little nuances of um, how much it changed our relationship. He didn't force me. We were, um, we just really felt like it was the only option we had. Mm -hmm. Um, He sent me the $300 for it and went through that and... Went for about 23 years, not even discussing it. The day of the abortion, we talked and he asked how I was, but we never talked about that experience or my daughter, our daughter again. And so it's just been a really, um, like you said, sometimes you never realize, um, I would have never thought that choice would have brought me to where I am today and speaking out and having, um, gone through my own healing starting in about 1999, uh, going to uh, Beauty for Ashes retreat down at Van Nuys, California, um, did that, and then went through Forgiven and Set Free that's offered through uh, many of the pregnancy care centers. And that truly was a time in my life I felt like I really got to know God because the foundation of that study is really about the character of God. And how much he loves us. And he sets these boundaries for us and these, you know, like the Ten Commandments. And those are for our good. They're not to restrict us. They're to help us live a life of freedom. And he is for us. Um, But at that time, you know, that was so far from me. I was far from God at the time that we made that choice um, to abort our child. And the thing that's been so profound through this journey is... The same time we were planning our wedding, we chose to end the life of our first child. Mm. And that really hasn't been a revelation until probably the last 10 years through. It's like this healing journey is one that, that um, it goes, it's a long process. 
especially when I went 23 years without even really talking about it. And then you start, it's like peeling back the layers of an onion. And you know what happens when you cut onions and just the tears that come. But God catches every one of them. He, the foundation to all of the studies that I've been through, and I have been through several, um, the foundation is God's love and God's character. So that when you are going deep into those deep soul wounds, it, it truly is a fact fracturing of our soul. God never intended for us to make decisions like that. And you know, that's a place that is to be safe, uh, nurture, and bring forth life and creativity. And, you know, as I've gotten more into the science, and um, I will say there, are, there was about a period of about five years, I really tried to run from this work. It's tough. People criticize you. For one, just coming out yeah. of, you know, to talk about it, a subject that um, is so divisive. And that's really been the heart of smart women's healthcare is that we want to change the dialogue. We want people to, it's like, don't take my word for it. I mean, I'm not a doctor. But the more that I started to understand, and when you go through the healing Bible studies, um, and there are some that are secular out there too, because there is the realization just based on science now that it is a wounding to the soul, and there needs to be some reconciliation of that. But as I went through the different studies, meeting the women with their stories, just, and there's this common, these common threads of what these women went through from the experience that led them to that decision, some of them didn't have a choice. They were forced. Um, unfortunately, that's still more common than, yeah, than we'd like we would to like to admit. Yeah. yeah. So just it creates this, this community of women because you get it. But to see so many of these things. And then in 2003, or no, 2013, when the Complications book came out, that just blew my mind. It was... <laughs> Something that was um, something I knew already in my heart, but the things that they were talking about in the science, it was starting to just confirm what we already felt. To, yes, to see it documented. Now, we're going to go to a break in just a moment. But that, that fracturing experience that you had, seeing that in the lives of other women, led you to uh, a work uh, called Smart Women's Healthcare to help inform other women and the broader culture yes. that these are things that we don't typically hear about or talk about. We want to get into that when we come back. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Deborah Tilden. She's the founder of Smart Women's Healthcare, Science Matters and Abortion-Related Trauma. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back 20 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Deborah Tilden. She is the founder of Smart Women's Healthcare, Science Matters in Abortion-Related Trauma. Before the break, you were talking about your story and this fracturing that occurs when a life is taken um, and that grew into um, sort of a network of women who began to talk about their own experience and what the, what the fallout was from having made the abortion decision. Talk about the smart women's health care and how that is designed to provide a platform for women, but also to inform the culture in general of what we are denied even acknowledging exists. And that is the trauma of having experienced an abortion. Mm hmm. Well, one of the first things that we did um, is designed these two initial brochures, which can be found on our website. Um, that and I, I was off to Washington D.C. I had never been to Washington D.C. before. 
I had the complications book and my two brochures and my story. And um, my congressman opened the door to so many. He had actually, we shared the stage at an event. He took the complications book, read it on one of his trips from Oregon back to D.C., And we just proceeded to carry on a conversation about it. And I really felt like there needs to be addressing the public policy side of it, not only. um, And there's just so many different areas that this needs to be integrated into. Um, So I met with about a deer in the headlights. You know, it's it's not something I was trained to do. Um, And just going into each of the offices, I went in asking to meet with who was in charge of women's health care in those offices. And I met with about 70 different congressmen and women, um, their staffers and senators as well. I've made four trips total, and there's about 70 copies of the Complications book in various offices on Capitol Hill. Well, let's just talk about the Complications book, because uh, you and I know what you're referring to, but our listeners right. may not. Okay. Complications, Abortions, Impact on Women, and it's... Uh, a compilation of more than 650 worldwide studies of the physical and psychological harm of abortion on women. And it's just taking the dialogue. It's really interesting how those who don't like our message, they only like science when it fits their narrative. So we're really just trying to, it's like, and I say, well, don't take my word for it. Go look at the science yourself. Denmark, Finland, all of the, you know, when they deny that there is a mental health risk, I say, you know what? You need to go look at the Finland and Denmark longitudinal studies. They both separately took um, one of them 25 years, one was 30 years, the entire population of women, millions of women in their population. And they were looking at the mental health risk and the suicide risk. And they took the three different control groups of women who had carried to full term, those who miscarried, and those who had had abortions. And all the different factors weighed in there. And they, they, found emphatically that there was the increased risk of suicide and mental health. And then you have Great Britain and you have India and you have so many countries now. Um, The Complications book is also available on Amazon, on eVersion, which actually is updated on a regular basis. As new research comes forth, they're updating the eVersion of it. Now, in any of the cases of the studies that you're citing that are in the Complications book, were there public policy changes as a consequence of what they discovered through their own research? Many of the country, European countries um, have limited abortions, um, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, 18 weeks. I don't think any of them go past 18 weeks. And here we are in our country, in our state, um, fighting whether or not 20 week, you know, 20 weeks. And those countries have limited the ability for women. It's not just a free-for-all like we do here in our country and sadly in our state, which yeah. is where we're at right now. Yeah. Now, your organization, <clears throat> Smart Women's Healthcare, Science Matters in Abortion-Related Trauma, what, it, what do you want to accomplish in making available and making more widely known what we now know, uh, given science, the fallout of abortion is? What do you hope to accomplish? Well, I want to see, for one, a civility of, you know, being able to talk about these issues, women to be fully informed. There should be laws in every state that full disclosure of all of the risk factors. Women don't get anything, even even today, mm-hmm. um, in our modern day where we have all of this available. The abortion providers are not required to, to provide that. Um, I want to see abortions be unthinkable because we understand how harmful it is, how devastating it can be. Um, in different times that I've spoken at events, it is heartbreaking 
when you have, say, a grandmother come up, the grandmother of the child that's been aborted, it, her daughter, having forced her daughter in her younger years to have an abortion, and she, this particular woman who approached me about it, just sobbing because her daughter's life just spiraled. She's been through like five different marriages over the years. Um, I, I work with women who have, um, because of the damage caused by their abortion, they've not been able to have children. And so that's a whole nother level. And many of these women are told, oh, you'll be able to have lots more babies when you're ready for them. And that that is a whole nother depth of grief for those women mm-hmm. when they trusted those um, in making those statements to them and trusting them that that would, because a lot of women aren't in a place where they're receiving support. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. I want to see the pregnancy care centers supported better um, and protected. There's a real attack on the pregnancy care centers. I believe my daughter would probably be alive today had they been available um, at that time. Now, we've been talking about Hmm. public policy and making known to those decision makers who oversee public policy. What have you found about women in general once they're better informed, they're contemplating an unwanted, uh, an unplanned pregnancy? Do you believe this information will influence their decision based on what we now know the fallout is likely to be uh, to keep a child as opposed to move forward with an abortion? Well, a lot of women, once they do know, or they've had, you know, we have women call and we get them plugged in with the pregnancy care center. A lot of women, it is a very, it's a difficult situation to be in an unplanned pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And we try to provide that support. There are shepherding homes out there, um, helping people to understand adoption and the adoption process. There are open adoptions um, that, you know, these women can stay involved in in their child's life. Um, and for these women to understand that impact and the risk of what these complications are later, these later term pregnancies even increase their risk for the breast cancer risk for the preterm labor risk. One abortion can predispose a woman to preterm labor for future pregnancies. When you think about you're you're messing with the hardware mm-hmm. that's meant to hold up, up, you know, a lot of babies nowadays are nine to 10 pounds. Um, when you are impacting the the hardware, I know that may sound coarse, but just the design of a woman's body, and when you infringe upon that and injure that, that can have a huge effect on those women. So having women be informed, the public policies of the legislators, um, just even state leaders, being able to understand, for one, change the dialogue regarding just the words healthcare. You know, the abortion industry likes to call it health care. Let's define health. Let's define health. And let's define wholeness. And when we see these patterns of these women um, affected, affected so deeply, um, I'm working with a, a family over in Central Oregon right now. The young 17-year-old girl, she and her boyfriend, they wanted to find a way, even if it was putting the child up for adoption. She was forced by mm-hmm. her family to come into Portland and have a, and it was a late-term abortion. The family has no idea what to do with her. She's suicidal. Mm, she's she's unable mm. to, to function. How is this choice? This is, you know, there's this narrative that's um, it really so destructive. And our message, we really want to speak the truth in love, but and to be able to really impact the culture and have greater civil dialogue. And again, I said, I like I said earlier, is 
Um, you don't have to take my word for it. Go look at the look research at the yourself. Be informed yourself. Don't listen to just the talking points. Now, for listeners who are interested in, in your work, Smart Women's Healthcare, what's the best way for them to communicate with you or to learn more? Okay, well, they can. Uh, we have our website, smartwomenshealthcare.science, obviously the triple W. Um, and that's just kind of a portal that people can reach us. We're on um, Facebook. We have a Facebook page. And just, I, I'm working actually on a curriculum that will be out by April, um, have an event up here at Portland State University, and they've asked us to create a curriculum that they could start actually using to really be able to effectively talk through these issues. Well, again, that uh, website is smartwomenshealthcare.science. I also have a link on my Facebook page. You can check that out if you're driving the car and want to make sure you remember it. Well, Deborah uh, Tilden, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and taking the time to uh, to come and talk with us here today. We'll do this again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we return, we'll talk with James Taylor. He's the director of Bow the Knee. It's a new experience this year, back from a one-year hiatus. We'll tell you all about it in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, I'm happy to announce there is good news this year as we uh, anticipate the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and acknowledge his passion. Bow the Knee is returning to the Vancouver area. This year it's going to be located at Liberty Bible Church. And here to talk with us about that is James Taylor. First of all, let me just say congratulations. We're so excited that Bow the Knee is coming back. Oh, we are thrilled. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been. And for those who aren't familiar with Bow the Knee, it tells the, the story of the life of Christ. It culminates, of course, in his uh, his passion and his resurrection. Uh, explain to our listeners a little bit about this really stunning presentation of, of the life of Christ. Well, it's a unique perspective as the story is told uh, from the from the view of the Roman centurion who has been tasked with uh, running the crucifixion of Christ and his conflict as he encounters the truth and uh, and then the order to carry out the crucifixion. There's a cast of some 200 choir members and, and actors, uh, music, drama sets, costumes, video. It really is a, a class A presentation. And when you say, yeah, there's going to be a, a, a play, a production on the life of Christ in Vancouver, people might think, oh, yeah, well, I've been to a church passion play before. This is really something quite different, is it not? It really is. And this year especially, because we are going to put the audience members right into the middle of the story. It really will be a very intimate experience this time. Now explain why that's the case, how that's the case. Well, uh, you know, for, for, for five years, we had a great uh, working relationship with another church that had a large uh, uh, sanctuary area. Mm-hmm. And this one's a little smaller area, uh, but the scale and the scope of the production is the same. And so the, the audience members are going to find themselves within mere feet of pretty much everything that happens. And so it'll, it'll be very much a, a hands-on experience. As I mentioned, there is a choir of 200, a cast of actors. Um, This really represents not just the efforts of a single church in the Vancouver area, but more than 20 churches. That is correct. Uh, We have folks from from, uh, almost two dozen churches. And uh, it's just part of the bow the knee family, as we say, uh, the greater family of Christ. And it really is just a tremendous opportunity for for the community to see the, the, uh, the folks from a variety of churches come together 
and tell the story. Now, I've actually seen the production. So I, when I talk about Bow the Knee and I, I think about that production, I know the caliber of uh, performance that you and I are, are talking about. Some of our listeners may not. Uh, I, I'm excited to tell you that this is really something different than what you might anticipate in terms of the quality of presentation. And there are going to be five uh, performances this year, uh, beginning on Thursday, March the 15th, with an evening performance. Again, on Friday, March the 16th, 7 o'clock. On Saturday, you have a matinee and an evening performance, 1 o'clock and 6 o'clock, uh, res- uh, uh, respectively. And then on Sunday at 5 o'clock, the final performance of, uh, of Bow the Knee. This is a major effort. How long have you all been working on it? Oh, boy. We, uh, you know, it was funny. We were doing a Christmas one. We had no plans of doing Bow the Knee this year. And my wife, who had just wrote and produced our Christmas one, uh, said, you know, I think we could do Bow the Knee in here. And I, I didn't think we could. And, and she explained what she was thinking. And I went, oh, my goodness, I think we can do that. <laughs> and so we've only been working on it since uh, December. And it is all brand new tech. It is all brand new sets. Uh I mean, we had to start from scratch on a lot of things to recreate everything for this new venue. And I think the folks, when they come in, even if they've seen it before, are going to be overwhelmed by what they see. Yeah. Now, I should mention that tickets are free. This is a production that is a gift to our community, which is an amazing thing in and of itself. But you do require that people have them. (laughs) They're easy to get, but it's important in order to accommodate everyone who wants to see the production on the the nights that it's available and the matinee uh, performance. So tickets are free, but you need to get one. And the best way to do that is how? Uh, you want to go to bowthenee.com, and you'll put your ticket request in. You'll be able to pick which performance you'd like to go to. But we want to stress to folks, because the tickets are free, uh, we have limited seating, limited parking. And so when it's full, it's full. And, and so we, we do put a few more tickets out than we have seating for because it is a free event. Uh, and so we just encourage folks, get there early so you can get a parking space and that you can get a seat. Now, a lot of people, they choose to attend church, maybe at Christmas, Easter. Um, what is your best hope for Bow the Knee in terms of telling the story of the life of Christ, his death and resurrection at this time of year? Well, for us, we really strongly encourage all of our folks from the various churches to not only invite someone, but to come with them. Uh, one of the best ways that a person finds a relationship with Jesus is through a personal relationship with somebody else. And when they can begin to share that kind of experience together and see what Jesus has done in the life of their friend, and then couple that with the with the truth of the story, it begins to make a lot of sense to that person as to why they would want to choose Christ. Now, the caliber of performance I remember was top-notch. I remember that there were scenes in which there was uh, uh, fighting with the Roman soldiers, and, and if you know the story, you kind of know the storyline. Um, any warnings for young kids attending the performance, particularly in the close proximity that you see this time around? Yeah, we, we we try to warn folks that with their little ones to use the best discretion that they have. It is very realistic looking, and uh, there's there are definitely some scenes in there that are pretty intense. But the story is pretty intense. Yeah, and so we have decided to stay as close to the story as we can, and we just tell folks with little ones that 
maybe this might not be uh, the the best place to bring their little one with them. And I should mention it's very tastefully done. There's no gratuitous violence, but it does accurately tell the story. And if you have little ones who might be, you know, frightened by a sudden uh, change in action, that's that's something to consider. Uh, but again, it's a it's a tremendous depiction of the story, the historic events surrounding the life and uh, death and ultimate resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful time to make that uh, that opportunity available for those who know the story well and others who perhaps know it less well, but to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. Mm-hmm. Again, this time around, it's going to be at Liberty Bible Church. Tickets are free, but you need to make sure that you have one. The seating is uh, a bit more limited than before, but there are five performances, so that means uh, chances are you will uh, find an opportunity uh, to attend. Again, it begins on Thursday, March the 15th in the evening, and culminates on Sunday, March the 18th in the evening. There's one matinee performance on Saturday. Saturday, and you can get all those important details at bow the knee. Is it dot com? Yes, bow the knee dot com. I'll make sure I'll put that on the website as well, so folks can uh, can make that link. I would uh, I would give it five stars. It's an excellent presentation, and I'm just so excited that you're back again this year, and people will have the opportunity to uh, enjoy uh, this outstanding performance. Hey, thank you so much for being willing to take that on. Well, Georgine, thank you so much for having us on uh, onto your show, and we are very excited to share this story with our community again. Thank you so much, and God bless. You too. Again, the performances start on Thursday, March the 15th at 7 o'clock p.m., another performance on Friday night at 7. Uh, March the 17th, Saturday, there are two performances, the matinee at 1 and again in the evening at 6, and then on Sunday, March the 18th at 5 o'clock p.m. Again, it features a cast and choir of 200, tells the story as seen through the eyes of a Roman centurion, the music, the sets, the drama, the costumes and video, all of very high caliber. These are Washington, or not Washington, Hollywood um, costumes. Um, everything comes together to tell the story in a way that grips the audience. It draws them into the greatest story ever told. It's a great opportunity for you to be reminded, as well as inviting others uh, who are considering the claims of Christ to this uh, performance as well. Tickets are free. You need to get them, uh, however, in order to attend, and you can do that at bowtheknee.com. All right. I think that... Uh and pretty much covers it. Looking forward to welcoming this uh, tradition back uh, to the metro area. We're going to take a break here in just a moment and let you know a couple of things. One, I was greeted immediately upon arriving at work today uh, by a co-worker who was quite taken aback by a Pennsylvania church that apparently... I'm not sure to say that they worship the AR-15 is quite the right way to put it, but we'll tell you a bit about that story. Also, uh, the vice president's wife and daughter are promoting a picture book, and the Billy Graham funeral is going to be, or memorial service, I'm not sure how they're describing it, is going to be broadcast live. We'll give you the the details of how and when to, uh, to see that. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Trump on Wednesday said guns should be confiscated from potentially dangerous people, even if it violates their rights. I think taking the guns early, like in the crazy man's case, take the guns first, go through due process second. Well, he will probably backpedal on that at some point. But those uh, uh, those statements in light of the ongoing debate regarding the Second Amendment uh, led a congregation in Pennsylvania to, uh, well, to demonstrate their fondness for the weapon, AR-15. Now, as I mentioned, I was greeted uh, rather 
aggressively by one of my co-workers uh, regarding all of this and, in fact, was making the point that the church, broadly painting what happened in Pennsylvania uh, as uh, an activity that would be embraced by churches everywhere. But in case you hadn't heard the story, the congregants at a rural Pennsylvania World Peace and Unification Sanctuary, it's a spinoff of the Unification Church, um, uh, which was founded, as you might recall, by the late Reverend Sun Myung Moon, which is not a Christian church in the Orthodox sense. Anyway, on the same day the president made his surprising comments, but unrelated, the Unification Sanctuary members marched into their church for a wedding ceremony. They were carrying unloaded AR-15 rifles, the same assault weapon used last month by, in the president's words, the crazy man, to kill 17 students in Parkland, Florida. Now, some of the Unification Sanctuary church members also wore crowns of bullets. They referred to the AR-15 semi-automatic rifle as, and I'm quoting, a religious accoutrement. Hmm. The Chicago Tribune called the church service, uh, which took place in Newfoundland, Pennsylvania, about 100 miles north of Philadelphia, a religious event that doubled as an advertisement for the Second Amendment. The display of devout gun worship caused local schools to close out of concern. The Reverend Sean Moon, who's the son of the late Reverend Sun Myung Moon, who founded the Unification Church, uh, said that uh, the sanctuary church seeks a kingdom of peace police and peace militia where the citizens, through the rights given to them by Almighty God, to keep and bear arms will be able to protect one another and protect human flourishing. Now, this uh, clearly is not a, an Orthodox Christian church. Nonetheless, churches broadly applied to all kinds of um, religious uh, organizations and just wanted to make the point that this is not an Orthodox Christian church in terms of theology in Pennsylvania, where they held the service. They wore some uh, rather unusual garments as well, sort of silky outfits that looked very much like the KKK, although there's no affiliation to my understanding. But standing in larger groups in these silky matching outfits, carrying the AK, uh, the AR-15 was something of a ceremony that apparently the Unification Church endorses. Meanwhile, the, the wife and daughter of Vice President Mike Pence are going to be touring this month in support of a new children's book. Uh, Karen Pence and uh, their daughter, Charlotte Pence, have collaborated on Marlon Bundo's book, A Day, rather, in the life of the vice president. The book, uh, named for the family's pet bunny, features watercolor illustrations by Karen Prince, uh, Pence. That's the vice president's wife. It's going to be published on the 19th by children's imprint of a conservative publisher, Regnery. Now, Regnery told the Associated Press on Thursday that the tour begins on the 18th. It will include stops at the presidential libraries of Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan and at a handful of military bases, including Camp Pendleton and Fort Carson. The Pences are going to donate a portion of the proceeds for charities fighting human trafficking and promoting art therapy for children with cancer. Uh, so you can uh, look for the vice president and his daughter's book, Marlon Bundo's Day in the Life of the Vice President, because no one really knows what the vice president does. He shows up at certain events, but no one knows beyond that where he is or what he does. And that is generally the case uh, with vice presidents. Well, as you know, the uh, uh, Billy Graham has laid lane in state in Washington, D.C. for most of today and uh, yesterday. Uh, his body has now been removed from that location and is uh, making its way back to Charlotte, North Carolina, where there's going to be the final tent meeting, as they're uh, referring to it. That service begins at noon Eastern time tomorrow, but coverage of the events leading up to it will begin at 10 a.m. Eastern time. That's, of course, 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. You can uh, watch 
uh, the proceedings at the uh, website, billygram.org, if you're interested in hearing the speakers, watching what's uh, happening and so on. It's been a rather interesting day watching uh, the president, vice president, speaker of the House and others as they filed past uh, the uh, casket of Billy Graham, which was uh, in the Capitol Rotunda, one of a few civilians, if you will, who have been given that honor and uh, lines leading up to um, that space uh, throughout the uh, last day and a half for rather long as people had an interest in paying their last respects. Uh, but again, that can be found online at uh, BillyGraham.org if you'd like to take advantage of the opportunity to see uh, those uh, those events. Uh, I, I think I did mention the president and vice president were among those who uh, paid their respects earlier today. A couple of events I want to uh, remind you of this Saturday. I can hardly believe it's this Saturday. Ignite. It's coming to uh, Vancouver Church. Hope for a Broken World. And you are invited to take part. Uh, that's going to be, as I mentioned, at Vancouver Church. The cost is $38 at the door. You can register online, but of course the clock is ticking for that. You may need to uh, to do that at the door. But you are certainly welcome uh, to take part if you haven't uh, yet signed up for Ignite. Uh, by the way, the uh, registration website is westernseminary.edu backward splash Ignite. Some of the uh, workshops that are going to be available in addition to the keynote speaker that we're all looking forward to hearing from, uh, Prayer Strategies for a Broken World, Hope for the Lonely Heart, Women of Influence in a World Gone Awry, uh, Rekindled Hope, Daring to Dream Again, Living in the Hope of Heaven, uh, among uh, the workshops that are available for you to choose from. There'll be two breakout sessions, and during that time you can uh, choose which of the workshops you plan to attend. So looking forward to that. Now, Ignite will feature powerful worship music, inspiring worship dance, uh, moving short dramas as well. There are going to be two keynote talks with local author and speaker Whitney Woolard and uh, customized learning, as I mentioned, 20 hope-themed labs and panels. They're going to be prayer for women. That's available uh, with the guests during the lunch break. So if you feel the need to just sit and, and pray with someone, that's going to be available. There's going to be opportunities for networking to connect with local ministries that specialize in ministering to women. All of that part of Western Seminary's Ignite Hope for a Broken World, and that's um, uh, an outreach of the Women's Center for Ministry at Western Seminary. And StandUpGirl.com is uh, hosting a benefit concert. You're invited to join them for the Music to the Heart featuring magical pianist Michael Allen Harrison. That's coming up on Friday, March the 9th. That's next Friday, not this, but next Friday, 7 o'clock p.m. in Canby at the Canby Chapel on Northwest 3rd uh, in that city. It's benefiting StandUpGirl.com Foundation. And, of course, that is a ministry uh, to girls and women who are facing unplanned pregnancies, who have questions about abortion or just... Uh, have questions related to that whole undertaking. Uh, it's a tremendous, um, uh, it's a tremendous ministry. It's reaching uh, people all around the world, and it really is uh, fascinating how God is using it uh, to help uh, reach young people. And then once they've had this online communication, they're referred to ministries in their. Uh, local area, so they're not just left on their own in moving forward with what they uh, what they are facing. So, uh, standupgirl.com is a great uh, outreach uh, and literally reaching all around the world. In fact, I attended their last fundraising event. I think it was in 2017, and they literally had in real time a map that showed you when people were calling from various parts of the world, and you could see in this part, you know, and. Outer Borneo or, you know, in China, the, there's communication online 
with uh, presumably girls, but perhaps uh, boys and, and men as well who have questions uh, who are communicating with him. So it's a it's a great ministry, and I would encourage you to check out the website just to learn more. In addition uh, to looking into the concert coming up on Friday, March the 9th, 7 p.m. at the Canby Chapel, standupgirl.com. All right. Now, tomorrow we are looking forward to uh, lightening up. That's what we tend to do on Fridays, assuming there's no breaking news. However, if there is breaking news, we will certainly break in and uh, cover that. But we try to take a look at some of the lighter side of the news. Also, um, the uh, memorial service for Billy Graham will be broadcast live online. You can find that at BillyGraham.org. I'm not sure if we're going to have any audio for that, but that's a possibility as well. We're still uh, learning what's uh, what's going to be available. That uh, coverage begins at 7 a.m. our time, although the funeral service doesn't begin until uh, 9 a.m. our time, but uh, it all takes place Eastern time. So you'll see the references to 10 and 12. Uh, so anyway, you can go to their website and watch all the details if you would uh, like to sit in on that. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.